Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and on today's podcast, I've got Nathaniel Tilton, who wrote The Blackjack Life and was a part-time professional card counter for a number of years. And uh, thanks so much, Nathaniel, for being on our podcast. I'm excited to be on it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, this is exciting. Um, I read your book, and and there were a lot of uh, parallels. There were definitely some differences in your guys' approach to ours, and and I'm excited to just uh, ask you some questions and find out more about uh, about your story. Sure. Um, But... Because you've written your story, I don't want to, you know, ask too many repeating questions. Um, but, but uh, with that being said, let's let's just dive in. Um, so, for those who I guess have or haven't read your book, um, you got into card counting by reading "Bringing Down the House" and "Busting Vegas," correct? Yeah, that's sort of um, when I read "Bringing Down the House." Uh, I was very entertained by it and then was really excited about um, picking up the, the sequel, Busting Vegas. Um, still had no aspirations of becoming a professional card counter. Um, however, Busting Vegas being specifically about Semyon Dukach, who was also living in Boston at the time, um, he was offering uh, seminars on uh, blackjack and card counting and I thought it'd be kind of a cool thing to be able to meet him so I went to one of those again really not thinking about having any sort of future in blackjack Um, but from there um, meeting a couple of the people there and 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 sort of um, figuring out where I might go with it um, one thing led to another and and that's kind of where it all began so, so that's interesting. You said not really expecting to have any future in blackjack. Was it more just uh, you enjoyed the stories and thought, "Hey, this guy's right here. It'd be fun to meet him in person and and just kind of um, have a face and a voice to to the name." Yeah, absolutely. In fact, when I showed up um, and realized that that was more instructional than a meet and greet. <laughs> I was sort of taken aback, like, well, I'm not, I'm not trying to learn anything here. I just enjoyed the story and, and thought it was cool to, to have the opportunity to meet Semyon. Um, and we spent the entire day kind of going through all sorts of, of techniques. And it was, it was at the end of that day that someone sort of said, hey, does anybody here want to get together and try to practice this on our own? And... Uh, that was kind of the first time I even thought about blackjack for me. And so um, for some reason, I just sort of raised my hand and said, yeah, I, I'd definitely be interested in that. I'm happy to host. And um, we started out with, um, I think, about four or five guys. And then some people weren't able to make it. And next thing you know, it was three, three of us. And then it was just uh, ended up being uh, – uh, DA and myself, uh, who developed a good friendship and and obviously went on to um, to play professionally. So I've got no shortage of questions about you and DA, but uh, before we get there, uh, I'm just curious. You know, you, you meet and you know it turns into it being a little more instructional than you're expecting. When you decided to actually start practicing and training, what what was your motivation for getting into it? 
Um, I think I was caught up in the the excitement of the idea of it at mm-hmm. first. Um, and it was funny because I remember that first kind of kitchen table practice, if you will. Mm. Um, we sort of jumped right into counting and um, quickly realized that we were we were missing a couple of steps <laughs> before getting to that. And uh, that's when we sort of all, I think at that point there were three or four of us. We kind of took a step back and said, "Okay, let's let's start from the beginning. Where do we need to where do we need to begin here? Um, let's just master basic strategy. Everybody, come back next week. We'll see where we're at with basic strategy, and we would do that until we mastered that piece of it, and then we kind of set a new goal or a target for ourselves. Um, you know, keeping account or you know, calculating true count conversions, that that kind of thing. But we really did take it one step at a time. And through that process, that's kind of where that attrition happened with the with the other guys mm-hmm. that were um, joining us. Um, so, before we knew it, there were just two of us left. Yeah. So this was without Semyon uh, at this point? Yeah. In fact, we went... Um, so Semyon was... He offered a little bit of guidance, obviously the training seminar, and then a little bit of guidance along the way. But we were practicing on our own yeah. to the point where we got pretty comfortable with what we were doing. Of course, it's at the kitchen table, so you never never know. Yeah. And um, and we, we just felt like we had plateaued a little bit. So we went back to him to see if we could have you know more training and, and that sort of thing. But he... He respectfully declined, oh, just saying he was kind of out of the game, and yeah. that just really wasn't his thing anymore. But that's when he suggested that we contact Mike Aponte. Mm-hmm. So how how cool is it, by the way, that Semyon wrote the forward to the Blackjack Life? Was that cool? This guy that you basically paid just Very to, cool. yeah, just to meet, uh, meet and greet, and yeah, it was um, when I had written sort of the first draft of my book, um, I reached out to anybody I could who was sort of a player in the book mm-hmm. um, just to get their opinion, kind of to get their okay. Um, and so he was the first one I sent it to. And he, I emailed it to him, and the next day he responded and said, let's get together. Wow. And so we... He's like, I read it overnight. I love it. Um, I want to get together and talk to you, talk to you about it. Uh, we went out to lunch, and uh, not that I'm trying to compare my book to Bring Down the House, but he he referenced that sort of saying mm-hmm. like, I like your book. I like this book a lot because it feels like it's more real mm-hmm. and more accurate yeah. in some ways. And he's like, whatever I can do to help you. Wow. Um, get it published, promote it, whatever um, I can do to help, and I was just sort of blown away by that. That's that's awesome. That's, that's <clears> yeah, in, interesting. I hadn't I hadn't thought of it is a lot more real and and relatable uh, than bringing yeah. down the house. I, I've heard uh, some people say they saw Twenty One the movie and it didn't feel like something they could really do. Then they saw uh, Holy Rollers, the documentary that followed the blackjack sure. team I helped run. And they're like, yeah. oh, wow, real people can do this, which I always take right. as, oh, wow, these guys aren't that smart, so I'm sure I could do it too. <laughs> but I, it's, it's true. I, we're, I, we're not MIT I whiz do, kids. 
I do cringe a little bit at this this idea of being labeled the average Joe, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is which I get a lot. Um, but yeah, it's you know obviously I didn't go to MIT and and, and that sort of thing. But and and really anyone can do it with enough hard work and practice. But at the same time, I'd like to think that I do have some intelligence and it's not just, uh, not just hard work, but yeah, that, well, that, I feel like that comes across in the book. I mean, you guys didn't take a lazy approach to any aspect of, of your game. You know, the, the standards you had for yourselves were high, honestly higher than the standards we had for the church team. Um, Mm -hmm. so I I don't think I didn't get average Joe, uh, feeling, (laughs) feeling from it. But okay, so so going back to um, the seminar, you, you meet some people, and, and DA is the one that you end up teaming up with for your entire career. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I honestly feel like there's no way that I would be where I am today with the with my blackjack career or the book or anything without his presence. Mm. Um, the funny thing though was when I first met him, I, I got a bad vibe from him. <laughs> Um, I'm just like, I, I kind of thought he seemed a little arrogant and, and that sort of thing, which is actually, um, couldn't be further from the truth. Mm. Um, just a humble guy and, and sort of quiet. And I guess I took that the wrong way, but, uh, yeah, he and I developed a really strong friendship. We're still close friends today. And, um, but that, that there were, I guess, seven guys, seven or eight guys at the seminar and, and he and I became really good friends. So, so have you thought about how differently things might have played out if you hadn't attended that seminar and met DA? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a little bit hard to think about that. Um, I guess it's, I'm, I'm grateful for that experience and I'm, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going through a particularly difficult time in my own life at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it, it sort of gave me something to wrap my arms around and mm-hmm. and get fired up about and get excited about and um, just kind of everything fell into place and mm-hmm. you know I it's like it sounds a little cliche but it's like you know I discovered something um, in the unlikeliest of places that mm-hmm. being uh, the game of blackjack so yeah um, I'm very fortunate to have, have crossed paths with with him as well that's cool. Yeah. So, so what do you think were some of the personality traits that made you guys such a good fit? Um, so, we are very similar, and uh, the the biggest difference between us is I'm just a little bit older, and so at the time, I, I sort of thought of myself as more mature, even though I was, you know, that in my early 30s and was anything but, but. Um, hmm. And, and what we discovered was, um, you know, we both liked sports. We li- both liked to have a couple of beers here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes we'd sit around philosophizing about uh, blackjack over a couple of drinks, mm-hmm. um, watching sports. We both, you know, liked the Red Sox and, mm-hmm. and uh, local teams and, and that sort of thing. So we, we, just, we just had a lot in common. We both were financial advisors. Um, Actually, at the time he wasn't. He now is. He was uh, getting his MBA, okay, uh, in Boston. And uh, but we we had finance in common as well. So we just it, it was a good fit, and yeah. um, and we we mesh really well together. And neither one of us had 
sort of any inkling of, of needing to be the man. Mm-hmm. Um, we, from a partnership perspective, we both um, were happy with either one of us was, you know, taking the lead in a particular casino or a particular aspect of our team. Um, but we, so, so the ego was definitely set aside uh, when it came to the two of us working together. Man, that's, that's really cool. I just um, filmed a couple videos um, that had to do with teaming up because a lot of people are like, oh, I want to be a card counter. So how do I start a team or join a team? And, you know, uh, one of the biggest things I say is that, that your, your values, your goals have to align you know, in, in all these ways or else it's just not going to fit. And it sounds like you guys had all those things, like the, the goal for perfection or, or even overachieving with, with your standards and that you, yeah. were, you weren't playing around with card counting. You wanted to make real money with it. You're both hardworking and trustworthy and you both had day jobs. Um, yeah. And uh, and then the, the ego thing, I mean, that's that's huge too. Uh, otherwise, when someone's losing, the you know, the person who's winning wants to take all the credit but it's like sure just variance so <laughs> it's true and the other i mean obviously you talk about any sort of team play read any books um mm-hmm. or anything like that it, you know obviously the number one thing is trust yeah and um and certainly um there was that between us as well and unless he's playing the longest con game in the world <laughs> uh, i i have uh the utmost um, trust and confidence in him and, and vice versa. So um, that, that was something that we never ever had to worry about. Um, yeah. And that's, that's a pretty solid feeling where we had experiences with other teammates mm-hmm. where that ne- wasn't necessarily the case. And um, it, it just, it, it skews everything if, if there's not that level of trust. Yes, I, I was actually going to ask about that because not everyone knew. real or imagined, you know. Even if it's even if it's just imagined, and and the other person is completely trustworthy, if you feel that in any sort of way, mm-hmm. it can really um, throw things off kilter. Yeah. So so not everyone you teamed up with did work out so well. Is there any other advice you would give other newer card counters when considering teaming up with someone? Well. You know the obvious aspect to to the trust factor is is with regard to money, mm-hmm. but there's there's more to it than that. Um, there's if you're if you're training with people that you like, there might be a tendency to let their skills um, maybe not be up to par, mm-hmm. um, just because you don't want to be the person to say, hey, you you're not good enough. Yeah. You need to work harder. Um, or is this person highly skilled, completely trustworthy with money, but left to their own devices at a table where they're, you know, things are not going their way. Do they start to press and mm-hmm. over bet? Uh, things like, things like that. So the trust factor comes in a variety of forms. And I just think it's important that there's open dialogue and um, and the ability to say you're not up to par right now, mm-hmm. and yeah. and and not have to apologize for that, and and for the person who's being told that to be able to uh, you know respect that and say yep you know what you're right I need to work harder 
Um, that that level of open communication, I think, is just critical for a successful team. Yeah, that's that's such good advice. When I look back at the church team, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest mistakes I made running the team. I mean, these these guys, they're my friends. You know, I'm hiring right, and right. Fi- firing friends, um, and I think my personality is I'd, I'd at the end of the day, I'd probably rather get screwed than screw over a friend. Right. So, so that, that would, you know, I would lean towards, you know, someone didn't really nail their test out, but I'd be like, ah, I'm sure they have a winning game, you know? And so I'd send them, you <laughs> right. know, send them out and then they lose $80,000 and I'd be like, ah, I think that, right. you know, like I, that wasn't a good enough standard. And, and the reality is it did screw over friends, just not maybe, you know, not that one. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the other players on the team, you know, yeah. are having to make less money because of some people that who's really shouldn't have been out there playing, or even the person that shouldn't have been out there playing. In a sense, I'm screwing them over by not really holding them to a standard. You know, they either shouldn't be playing blackjack, or they need to work harder to to get to a level where they can have you know really strong game. And that that stuff was hard to do in my you know mid mid to late twenties, but uh I think that's really good advice you gave the you just gotta be able to have those conversations and you know, have no ego in it. Right. Right. So so let's step back a little bit. Um can you just briefly walk us through your daily or weekly training routine when when you guys were still training? Mm-hmm. Sure. It was um it was pretty intense. And one of the nice things between DA and I was that um, we were also both very competitive. Mm-hmm. And so whether it was even counting down a deck of cards, whatever we knew was going to happen the next week when we were going to get together, neither one of us wanted to lose. <laughs> so it was all we did in our free time. It was, you know, for me, sometimes in between appointments, I'd be counting down <laughs> decks uh-huh. of cards. Um Certainly at home every night, I was going, you know, dealing myself shoe after shoe. Um, uh, we would, you know, we would do, we would just try to be as creative as possible as far as challenging ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we would, one person would go in the other room, for example. We'd lay out, the other person would lay out um, a deck of cards, but sort of, um, just all over the table, uh-huh. you know, no, not in any sort of sequence, just just a big mess on uh-huh. the table. Um, allow, making sure that every at least every cards could be, uh, you know, um, visible on, yeah. in some way. Uh, just even if it was just the corner of it, uh-huh. and um, then we'd call the other person back in, and we'd time each other. How quickly can we just scan the whole table? Can't touch the cards. Can't move anything around. Just have to look at it all. And um, and see how quickly you you can do that. Then another time we would we'd put um, the lights down super low. You could barely see. Mm. You'd have to stand a certain distance back. And then we'd be playing. Um, we got a, a, a Sesame Street DVD where they're <laughs> singing counting songs. Uh-huh. Um, so there's all this counting going on out loud um, in the background while we're trying to to count um so we would just try to think of any way we could challenge ourselves to count keep count 
um, you know, constantly doing um, um, calculations as far as like true count conversion. Uh-huh. So we'd have a pile of um, of index cards that would would have a variety of of running counts, and then we'd have another pile that would have a variety of um, index cards, but written on them would say, um, for example. Uh, 2.75. So uh-huh. that would represent how many decks had been played. Uh-huh. So we'd you know, flip over one and be the running count is 15, flip over the other and it would say 2.75 and we'd calculate that there, you know, we'd say, okay, so three and a quarter uh-huh. is left to be played. Therefore, the true count is four and a half and not with the offset that we use, it's mm-hmm. three and a half. And then we'd have a third pile of index cards that would say what the unit was and we'd make it something um, you know, strange like $130. So we do $130 times three and a half oh, to get the betting. And so we would do that over and over again. So anything that we could think of, and it doesn't have to be that. So so a lot of um, new counters will, you know, new blackjack players will come to me or, or email me and say, you know, what are those things that I need to do? Mm-hmm. And those are some ideas, but the reality is, is there are a million different ways that people can practice it. The, the key is not which one of those to use, but the fact that it just it requires practice and practice and more yeah. practice and, and challenging the brain to sort of function in a certain way um, so that you know the first time we got into a casino, it was boring. We were yeah. like, it is so slow, and <laughs> this is too easy, um, but that's a good thing. I mean, ultimately, oh, yeah. that's what we want it to be. So. Absolutely. No, that's that's really good. Um, one of the things I've been really thinking about more recently, um, and I, I kind of shared some of this at the most recent boot camp we just did, but um, the, it's not binary. It's not that you're either a losing player or winning player there there's actually levels of of skill and what i don't necessarily mean is like the number of deviations you use but um there could be someone that's barely a positive ev player and there can be someone that is able to you know i i think counting is kind of binary you either have the counter you don't basic strategy is binary but you know how many rounds per hour can you play and yep. you know how comfortably can you can you play Th- those things where a you know if if you were to watch there could be someone that can barely pass the evaluation that I put them through at a boot camp and then there can be mm-hmm. one of our pros who's who's played for 3000 hours and you mm-hmm. watch you know you watch the two play and and the pro is going to be you know just be able to play way more rounds per hour and do it way more fluidly and you know all all those things that that I think People need to consider beyond just like I guess it depends what your goal is. Is it to technically beat the game, or is it to be exceptional? Which which really seemed like your guys' goal with card counting. I I do think that our goal was to be exceptional, and I think as a part of that process, what it ultimately allowed us to do was to have more bandwidth to. Um, to apply strategies in the casino to um, to allow us to play longer. Mm-hmm. So having conversations with pit personnel and, and having um, 
sort of these interactions we would not have been able to do if we were just just able to pass your boot camp checkout kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to be able to do that so well that in order to do the things that we were actually doing in the casino, um, because we would have we would embrace the idea of of sort of the loudmouth. Mm-hmm. Drunk, um, you know, ex, you know, college athlete, gambler kind of guy. Um, but in order to do that and have that interaction with with the pit personnel, I mean, we we really, the more we had that kind of a relationship with those people, um, the the more we, you know, the more hands we could get in and all the things that you were just outlining, mm-hmm. um, and we would not have been able to do that unless just all of the aspects of card counting were world-class. Yeah. Um, so that, that ended up becoming, you know, our mission was to become world-class. Mm-hmm. Um, but it had sort of an, a secondary effect in terms of our play in the casinos. Um, that was, was everything to us. Man. If I, if I ever run a, a large scale blackjack team again, I'm going to have tiers of test out, you know, not just binary. Mm, good idea. Yeah, man. If, if you can pass the test out and, you know, uh, get through a shoe in, in a shorter period of time, you know, create, create different benchmarks, then you're going to get paid more because, because you're going to generate more EV and, and, and not just EV, like you, you said, you know, be able to have the conversation with the pit while playing perfectly and, you know, last longer and all, all those, all those other things that add to the lifetime EV. Yeah. And we, and we played together a lot, um, as well, which has its pros and cons, but one of them would be that, you know, as an example, let's say that we're at the same table and we, we often use this kind of balanced betting approach, um, yeah. where if we both were supposed to put out, five hundred dollars um you know da might put out 300 and then i would you know know to put out 700 um and so what would happen is let's say that i was in a um you know sort of a very distracted seemingly distracted conversation with the pit um i could literally look in another direction not count at all for a hand being dealt and have the cards scooped up, mm-hmm. s- turn back to the table, and immediately DA would be um, giving me the count back. Mm-hmm. So, but we were just we were so on point with that um, that we were constantly communicating, communicating yeah. heat, communicating the count, communicating our next steps, communicating which. Um, strategy we're going to move in and out of because we we used a variety of of cover strategies um but it was it was it really felt like um something special when we were doing it Mm -hmm. um to be able to do some of the things that we were able to do that's awesome so i want to get to the cover stuff um but before we get there i'm just wondering after you guys tested out with mike aponte how many hours did you guys start putting in each month well, so what I would say, as far as Mike is concerned, we, we did meet with him first, um, just the two of us with him. 
um, after Semyon sort of directed us back to Mike. Uh, he flew in to Boston. We, we spent the day with him. And he was really supportive and said, you know, you guys have, have really done a good job here. There are some, some areas that we can fine-tune. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you're open to it, I'd be happy to love to take you guys under my wing, so mm-hmm. to speak. And um, he's like, but there are certain things like, you know, you guys know the illustrious 18. Um, I want you to know, you know, all deviations from basic strategy some things like that. So we, um, I'd say we sort of passed the test in a way, uh, like the initial test, mm-hmm. um, that we weren't just wannabes, that we actually had some some ability. And then he decided that he wanted to put together a team of his own. So he put together um, uh, a group of, of guys who uh, he put through the MIT checkouts. And uh, DA and I were the first to, to pass those. Those were very rigorous, um, uh, in some respects more rigorous than what we had been practicing on our own, um, and included signaling um, and had very uh, low margin for error, error or else we would have failed. Mm-hmm. So after we, we passed that, we only played for a little while with Mike and his team. So we were playing with Mike and his team, and we also were doing um, things on our own. Um, and so I would say that probably three out of every four weekends, we were we were making trips um, and still probably practicing as hard as we, hmm. we ever had. So it wasn't, it took, it was probably a few years before, you know, it was less about practicing um, in between. It was, I guess, not, not that it's not important, but um, it was just it wasn't as necessary. Yeah, um, when, when you're getting that much, you get to a point. Yeah, yeah, that much table time. You know, you're getting a lot of a lot of practice. It's good to still get your game checked out, but right, right. So, was it difficult to manage the day job with all these blackjack trips? It, it wasn't really. It was what it. What blackjack became for me was no different than someone that you know hits the gym after work and and likes to to run every day. It was just that just happened to be my thing. Mm-hmm. So I would I would leave the office Friday afternoon and drive right to the airport. Um, I'd have my bags packed for the weekend, and mm-hmm. I'd have a separate bag. Um, for returning on the red eye Sunday night into Monday morning. And by the time I got in, I'd grab my the bag that was I left in my car. Um, the, the building that I my office was in has a gym and a shower, so mm-hmm. I would just go right into work. And so Monday through Friday, I didn't it didn't um, impact what I was doing with my career. Um, it just I didn't have a whole lot going on, quite frankly, mm-hmm. in my life at that point. So it was working Monday through Friday, getting on a plane, playing blackjack all weekend, coming back to work and just doing it over and over and over again. That's, um, and and how, how long were you doing this? So to varying degrees from 2000 and 
2006 to probably 2010, mm-hmm. kind of hardcore. Um, and then, then it around the time that the book was published in 2012. Around that time, it was more sporadic. It was mm-hmm. maybe once a month, and that 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 sort of thing, uh, until it kind of just. Um, was done. <laughs> those are those are pretty much the exact same dates as the church team. Uh, yeah. So we were probably uh, crossing paths in Vegas. You know, that, that's the true. Time yeah. pl- players on our team, at least, if not me. Yeah. Um, that's wild. So so in in your book, I remember at one point there's someone you met through a forum that went by the name Billy Blackjack. At least that was the name in the book. <laughs> uh, anyone to bankroll you for for two hundred thousand dollars? Do you mind just sharing that story briefly for people? Sure. I mean, we were we were trying to scrape together whatever money we had just to have a bankroll. Um, and so when we the first trip we made, I think it was six months after we began training, we had I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but we maybe had like a ten or fifteen thousand dollar bankroll. We're, we're playing red chips and at Foxwoods and. Um, and then, but we, you know, we felt like our skills were world-class, but our bankroll was anything but, mm-hmm. uh, so on, um, on one of the, the, the forums, um, I think it was the forum, but, uh, yeah, there was a, a posting saying, uh, I'm an investor. I don't play. I want to bankroll somebody. I live in, I think, I think they specifically said, Lowell, Massachusetts. Um, if not, they said Massachusetts. And so, wow. um, which was, you know, 45 minutes away from half hour, 45 minutes away from where I lived. And so one thing led to another, we were able to connect with him. Um, and then he, he sort of, I guess he had gone to Mohegan Sun with another team who he was he was thinking about also bankrolling and um, he changed his mind in terms of the amount from 200 to 100. And he also had clearly had an understa- a misunderstanding about the idea of, of whether you win or lose in the, in the fact that he thought that basically every time we would win. Uh-huh. Um, and so we knew that that was sort of a red flag to begin with. Um, and we tried really hard to sort of educate him and, and manage expectations. Um, and so we're, it was a dilemma, dilemma for us. We felt um, like he, he didn't quite understand what it was all about. Yeah, He had these expectations that were unreasonable, but at the same time, he had money. And <laughs> yeah. uh, we, so we kind of moved forward with it. And the, the, the day that, I went to pick up the money, which was an, sort of an unsettling experience. He he said, "I'm only going to do 50." So he gave us 50, um, and it sort of just threw everything off. And we just knew deep down, I think we knew it just wasn't the right fit. Yeah. Um, and so, and and not only did he give us just 50 instead of the initial 200 that we were, you know, very excited about. But he also said, you know, I want this back, um, you know, after every trip. And we're like, this is just sort of un- unrealistic. Yeah. So we were going on a trip, um, 
and we actually just basically broke even. Um, we we're up a little bit. Um, so he, he, he got back more than he gave, but it was really well understood between us without even saying anything that when I dropped off the money, that that was it. We were, yeah. we were, our relationship was, was done. And, um, and we'd, we'd build our bankroll, uh, more organically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I think it's, it's generally best when people grow it organically for multiple reasons. Um, one is you get to learn a lot of those lessons at lower stakes rather than jumping right into really high limit play. Um, yeah. But also, you know, I tell some people say, hey, you know, um, I've got $20,000 and I have a friend or family member that is also going to give me $20,000. And, you know, depending on how it's set up, what you could end up doing is betting twice as much, getting twice as much heat, having twice double the swings, <laughs> all that. And then you're right. sharing the profits. So you're actually not, you know, maybe you're making a little bit more, but is it really, you know, worth it at, at the end of the day? So I, right. I, you know, nine times out of 10 recommend people just grow it the old fashioned way, put the hours yes. in and, and, uh, and then you, you, you get to enjoy even that, I don't know. It's like the process ends up when you look back at it. The process it was as big a deal as the actual money made. And look back and say, it's, "Like, hey, you're absolutely right, Colin." I we after that that period of time, it felt so much better um, to make our own money, build our own bankroll, um, and the we didn't have this sort of cloud hanging over us. Yeah. Of, Billy Blackjack and what is he going to think and what is he going to do and how is he going to react if we have, you know, a, uh, a downswing, which we inevitably would have, um, you know, it takes all of that off the table and, um, and we're really just dealing with money that, um, can be sort of utilized to its full extent rather than feeling like any pressure to sort of play scared in a way. Um, yeah. and you know, I think one of, there was, there were all sorts of documents that we got from, from Semyon and his seminar. And some of them were sort of recycled, um, checklists and things like that from the, from the MIT teams back in the day. But there were like, there was like this one that had sort of the, I don't know if it was 10 sort of laws of, card counting and and one of them is that you always get your money on the table um when when you have that advantage yeah we didn't want to feel like hey i'm kind of scared to bet what i'm Mm -hmm. supposed to bet right here not because of losing but because of how billy blackjack's gonna respond if we do um so yeah so we were so much better off after that I can totally relate to that. What I tell people is I never lost a night's sleep losing my own money, but you know, having to tell, you know, our investors, like my father-in-law, Hey, just so you know, (laughs) we uh, are down 200,000, you know, it was like not a fun or, or even, uh, and we'd go out to my in-laws and he'd be like, so how's the team doing? It's like, right. Oh, why do you have to ask? Like, I, I just give it time. But right. but when it was my own money, like yeah, you 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 know complain when you're losing, but you also just keep grinding and you know you know you're gonna get it back. Yep. 
So, so uh, I want to circle back around to the the cover strategies. Uh, I thought this mm-hmm. was pretty interesting, both from kind of uh, you know uh, describing them, but which I I think I've personally done all of them except for the um, the uh, uh, combining balance, balance yeah betting. balance betting yeah, yeah yeah I hadn't I hadn't done that one, but 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 also just thinking in terms of how we approached our team versus how you guys approached it. So, um, you know, my first question is if you guys calculated the EV loss from using cover strategy or were you a little less worried about that and much more thinking about longevity? So, so I, I'd say that, you know, from a cover strategy perspective, you know, cover bets, cover plays, um, you know, those obviously cut into your EV. That was less of what our, I guess, made our strategy, our overall strategy successful. Mm-hmm. And it was more about, you know, there. we didn't have the luxury of having a large team um, so that we could play spotters at lots of mm-hmm. tables and then call on the big player and, and the standard, um, that standard um, strategy. So, there are some people who back count and sit down mm-hmm. when the count's in their favor, wonging in. There are some people who, um, some smaller groups that will signal to each other. Then, of course, there's the, the, the call-ins and big player approach. I think what made our overall strategy successful is that we, we didn't choose just one of them. Mm-hmm. What we did was we would em- employ um, all of them in a single session. So we might start by each of us back counting two different tables um, at the same time. So we're covering four tables at once. Um, mm-hmm. And then we would signal in the other person. That person would sit down. We'd pass the count. Um, then we might... Um, later on sit down at that table and then switch to a signaling thing where all of a sudden the person that originally sat down sort of foregoes being the big player, if mm-hmm. you will, and all of a sudden kind of shifts to a signaling strategy to then shifting to a balanced betting mm-hmm. approach. And if you were to sort of be monitoring that, if you're surveillance, it's there's so many different things. You can't just look at that and say, here's what they're doing. They're doing call-ins. Or here's what they're doing. They're signaling to each other. Um, because we might be doing that for a little bit, and then all of a sudden we're not doing that. We're doing something else. And all of it being mathematically sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that was kind of the the success we had was due to that. In, in, in addition to that, we certainly did have certain cover plays. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just from a very basic perspective, one of us would always hit 16 versus a 10. The other person would always stand 16 versus a 10. Mm-hmm. So, you know, were we giving up a tiny bit of EV there? Yeah. But the reality was those cover plays were so small. And that's, I mean, I think that the key to the cover plays is that, you know, you're, you're doing cover plays that, uh, are small and uh, um, and we weren't doing the same thing. So that was a big thing for us was that we wouldn't. Our co- my cover plays were different than his cover plays. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't just say like, we're both going to do these. Um, and so we would mix those up um, and cover bets as well. Um, so we, we sort of employed a little bit of the Ian Anderson yeah. approach of burning down, burn, um, um, burning the tables as far as sort of chipping down um, after a loss, not after a win and chipping down after a win. Yeah. That was a little later in your guys playing days that, that you started incorporating more. Is that, is that correct? It was at least later in the book that, that yeah, you, you know, it, it's, it really was an evolution. So yeah. we, when we started, we were whatever Mike Ponte says, that's what we'll do. And yeah. Mike Ponte's approach was, you go hardcore, you hit all of the index numbers, you bet exactly according to um, the the true count, no variation, and when you get burned out, you get burned out. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we realized that you know we're not MIT, we don't have you know, 30 people, it's just us two. And when we're burned out, yeah, that's kind of the end. So we, we realized that we needed to evolve. And I think that we did that over time, a little bit through trial and error and out of necessity. And, um, and, and we wanted to, to, to do that, but we also didn't want to end up being, you know, not playing with an advantage. Yeah, <laughs> so, totally. Obviously. And so we wanted to be sensitive to that. So every every step of the way as we evolved, we would always ask ourselves, what is this costing us? Yeah. Is it worth it? Um, mm-hmm. is there a way to do it better? And um and we just kept getting better and we learned a lot of things along the way. And um and yeah, by the end we were doing more of that 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 kind of cover betting. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So that's that's really good. I mean, I want people that are listening, especially someone that's newer to card counting, to understand you've got to be really careful. Anything you're doing that's costing you money, you know, you do too much of it, and then you're you're playing for free. You know, you, you've got to sure. break even. You know, I've, I've known card counters that tip away their edge. I've known card counters that use so much cover they don't have an edge, or they play through so many negative counts, or you know, uh, are so worried about you know, acting natural that they're not even counting well because they're focusing on their conversation with the pit boss rather than playing well. But, uh, so just what you said about, you know, really evaluating the cost of everything. But at this point you guys had, you know, a a very strong game. I think one other thing that's, that was unique is you guys were kind of weekend warriors, Mm -hmm. which meant you couldn't, uh, so, so there are some of the guys that, that have, uh, come through blackjack apprenticeship or or just guys you know that are actively playing full time and the, the the couple of guys i'm thinking of are like uh, a guy named Rimo or my buddy Joe or uh this guy that goes by the name Yoshi and these guys i don't think they use any cover at all but they also can go on a a week long road trip or or mm-hmm. some of them will go on like a month long road trip but you guys had to fly you know, there's really only so many places, and when you're burned out to those places that you can fly to for a, a weekend of play, like you said, your kind of your your career's over rather than like, well, now I'm gonna be in you know middle of nowhere USA for two weeks. You know, sure. So. And we and 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 quite frankly, if we were in the middle of nowhere, we would approach that differently mm-hmm. than if we were in a casino that 
we knew that we were going to come back to. Um, so we, we wanted to be, you know, we didn't just apply the same approach everywhere we went. We, um, we really kind of took a look at where we were and what we were trying to accomplish. I mean, some places we would spread, you know, huge spreads mm-hmm. knowing that it, the, it was just a matter of time. And then other places we're a little more careful with our spreads. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the more that we, so, you know, everybody talks about the cost of, of cover, Mm-hmm. But also, what's the value? So, yeah. what do you get out of that cost? What are you paying for? So, if you're giving up a little in cost, what are you getting? Yes. So, for us, it would be um, longevity, and it would also be the ability to spread more, mm-hmm. um, and other ways that we could be profitable as a result of that small cost. Yeah, playing rated, it, it could be the comp value, which can be a big deal. That's true, too. So, I've got a few more questions for you. Um, sure. And then we can wrap up. So with the whole cover and that stuff, um, I know you write about having, you guys had your own database of casino conditions. How did you guys mm-hmm. keep that database? Was it like an Excel doc or Google yeah, doc? It or? was. It was okay. Excel. Yeah. yeah. And you just kept track of as much, like uh, I'll say the church team, we had like an internal website we had built. It was basically a forum that people could leave notes on every casino in the country, which was, you know, basically the earlier players on the team really paved the way for some of the later players to be like, do not play this shift or the, you know, or this casino or, or, or this city. Like it's a a wasted (laughs) trip. So, so tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, we, we did have sort of a shared document folder, Mm -hmm. um, with, with all of our, our team manual and, um, and our, our database, it would be, you know, we documented after every session. Um, we had sort of uh, these little notebooks that we carried in our back pocket, and we, you know, we'd write down everything that we could from every session. So it would be mm-hmm. the dealer name, anything about them. You know, if they're a uh, Pittsburgh Steelers fan, uh-huh. um, we wrote that down. Um, what their shift was, um, if they. Um, if they were the ones that placed the cut card, um, what the penetration was like, um, you know, uh, dealers that made more mistakes, um, shifts to avoid, casinos to avoid, same kind of stuff that, that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, we did keep all of that, and it really came in handy because we would walk in to a casino, and I couldn't. I, I'm one of those guys that cannot remember a name after somebody introduces yeah. themselves. Um, but I would walk in well prepared and be like, "Hey, Maureen, how are you? How's you know? How's I know you just had your granddaughter last year. You know, how is she doing? That kind of stuff." And yeah. um, it it was really helpful to us. Yeah. Um, the, a, a quick funny story. I know we're we're running out of time, but no, we're good. At the very end of the, um, you know, the end of my career, if you will, I was playing in um, Revel, which. Um, Revels no longer, but um, the it's the casinos open again. Um, I can't remember. I think it's called Ocean um, in Atlantic City. Okay, and we had we had hit it really hard for a long period of time, mm. um, and we had great relationships with with the pit, and um, and we had incredible um, incredible hosts. We were, our, um, our comps were ridiculous and so we loved it there 
And uh, we came in one Friday, and I sat down at the table, started playing, playing for a little while, and the count was was starting to inch up, and it was it was pretty good. I started betting a little bit more, and all of a sudden the the um, the pit boss, uh, actually the floor person, came over, and uh, and I waved to him. He was kind of in the corner, and he looked at me and waved, and I waved back, and. He came over and I'm like, "Hey, Joe, how are you?" And he shook my hand. He's like, "Good, Nathaniel. How you been?" I'm like, "Great." And he's like, "Oh, I meant to tell you." He's like, "I really enjoyed your book." Oh man! And, I, and I'm like, "Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that." And he's like, "What's the count right now?" And I'm like, oh. "It's uh, 13." And I'm like, "You want me to want me to go?" He's like, "Yeah, you can do what you want." And of wow. course, in Atlantic City, they can't. You know, yeah. they can't ask you to leave, but, you know, obviously they just shuffle up or whatever they, they would do. So I'm like, you know what, I'll just get up and go. And so I'm like, he's like, let me walk you to the cage. And uh, so we were walking to the cage and he's like, hey, man, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just doing my job. And I'm like, I get it. And uh, I hope you know I'm just I'm just doing mine. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And he, the, the cool thing was he said, tell you what, if you if you don't try to play back play here again this weekend i won't i won't flyer you until mm. monday um and i'm like you got a deal and so wow. it was just kind of a cool interaction and but it was also one of those things where where i was sort of like okay i think my time is officially yeah. up yeah man that's an awesome that's an awesome story on so many levels <laughs> that, yeah that uh you know you, you knew him from across the casino that he read your book and that by treating him well he you know treated you much better than you know a typical casino might you know yeah so there's there's one other um funny quick funny story was um we're playing in vegas and um this was um around the kind of the same time as as this this past this other story happened um and we're playing at the um sls Uh and uh it was funny because um, a DA and I were at a table, and there was one other guy, and we we're all, you know, we we're all black chippers, and and at that time, and the casino, um, who was that? I think it was the casino shift manager came over and said, um, shook DA's hand and shook my hand and said, "I'm so and so, the casino shift manager." Um. Not in a friendly way, even though he yeah. was shaking our hand. And the other guy at our table started to complain and saying, "Saying, hey man, I'm I'm betting just as much as they are. Why are you shaking their hand?" And I'm like, and I I just looked at him and I'm like, trust me, you don't want him to be shaking your hand right now. And like, right as soon as I finished that, he's like, "You guys got to get the you know the f out of here. Uh-huh. Um, you're not welcome here anymore." And uh, the the guys the look on the guy's face was just funny. He's like, "Oh yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome." You yeah. should have gotten that guy backed off too. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So uh, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but one of the things I really enjoyed about your story is that it ends well. Like it, it seems like you guys didn't hold on to the card gang chapter of your lives too long. Like it, it seemed like it was a really good fit for a season. And then, you know, it didn't, it didn't, it just seemed like you were okay hanging it up or, or at least putting it on the shelf for a while. What were those conversations like for you and DA? Um, 
it, it, it's like a bit like tipping over a um, like a soda machine. Like you, you can't do it on the first push. It has to kind of rock back mm. and forth before mm-hmm. it, before it falls over. So, I mean, we it wasn't ever cold turkey. It was we're going to take a break from it, and then we yeah. come back to it, and then we take a little bit longer break. We come back to it a little less um, intensely than before and eventually it just it just sort of faded um faded out i guess our friendship remained intact we still um make trips every year just but more for fun than anything else and we'll play craps and we'll (laughs) we still we still get comp offers and you know free rooms and food so we you know still take advantage of that stuff um but it's you know, for us, we're both as financial advisors. I mean, that's kind of our our thing. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we both have children. And as you know, that's a full-time job in and yeah. of itself. And um, and so it's it has a really special place in my heart, obviously, about, you know, there's a huge part of my life for a long period of time. But it it's, it, it is what it is. I guess it's, it's just no longer the main focus of my life and uh but i learned so much from it and even in my profession as a as a financial advisor i learned more about um you know market fluctuations and dealing with standard deviation and um and all of that because of my experience with blackjack yeah um more so than the other way around and so there are a lot of parallels. I mean, part of what I do with my investment portfolios is I'm looking at the quantitative metrics of the market and when the conditions are are healthier, then we put more client money in um, in the market. And mm-hmm. when they're not, we pull back. So it's very much like counting. Um, it just it's just in a different form than than a casino. Yep. And so um, at first I was nervous about publishing under my own name because I didn't want to give clients or prospective clients the wrong impression. Mm-hmm. But but in reality, it's it was the best thing for my career. And, Interesting. Um, I, I, all my clients are aware of, of my experience with Blackjack and the book. and But I talk about it in terms not of the gamble – but in terms of the math behind it and how that applies to what we do with their portfolio. And yeah. I think it really resonates with some people, um, particularly my clients, um, and they've been very supportive of that. So it's the two kind of go hand in hand, and, and Blackjack will always be a part of my life in some fashion, even if it's not you know, the weekend warrior grind yeah. uh, that it once was. I know Ed Thorpe uh, talks a lot about how the Blackjack tables are such a great uh, teacher in terms of learning about investing and money management and all that. So uh, I'm sure, I mean, he, he applied it uh, to the market and uh, sounds like, like you are too. Are there any other kind of life lessons you feel like Card Kang taught you? Um, you know, besides the resilience of that's needed to, to deal with the swings, um, you know, I, it just was one of those things where I, it reinforced what everybody knows, which is that the, the the best way to have success is to work really hard. And, you know, you see movies 
um, like 21 and, and whatnot. And, you know, they go from betting nothing to all of a sudden betting $10,000. Yeah. And it's all glamorous and there's back room stuff and there's getting beat up and running mm-hmm. and getting chased and all of that stuff. The reality is it's to be a successful card counter or to be successful in business or whatever it might be, it just requires a lot of tedious, hard work mm-hmm. and commitment to whatever craft you happen to be um, trying to excel at. And um, and that, for me, was kind of the biggest takeaway. And the fact that even from the beginning, it was like I knew right away that we were we had we started too far ahead and we needed to go back to square one mm. and say, what's the first thing we need to, to perfect? Yeah. And then what's the next thing we need to perfect in a very systematic way of learning and, uh, any, you know, any, any skill. Um, and I, and I really value that experience that I had. That's great. So I've got one last question for you. Um, do you think you'll ever come out of retirement, or are you pretty happy just leaving that chapter in the past? It depends on whether or not everything turns to uh, six to five payoffs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, i i can't see I can't see me coming out of retirement um, for to go back to what I went was doing at yeah. the time. Um, you know, if there was, if there was some unique opportunity for me to learn something new and apply some new, mm-hmm. um, craft in, in terms of casinos, you know, I'd be open to it. I've, I, I love, I love that world in a way. And I also hate it in a way mm-hmm. it's, I'm very conflicted by it. So it would have to be a really unique opportunity. It wouldn't yeah. just be like, Hey, let's start going every weekend to, Vegas and counting cards and back counting and doing call-ins and things like that. that. That's probably behind me. I think that's a that's a great answer. I remember at one of the uh, blackjack balls, Ed Thorpe gave a talk and he said, uh, "What's next?" You know that that should, we should always be asking ourselves, "What's next?" Right? Uh, because we can get kind of stuck into one thing and you know never ask ourselves that question and. You know, um, I'm really thankful for card counting, and I actually went on, you know, my first uh, trip in in a, quite a while recently, and it was fun. But it's not it's not the same thing it was before. And you know, I, I consider it a trade. You can pick it up, you can put it down. Sure. But, but for you to be able to say, you know, what I'm doing now is what's next, and I, you yeah. know, it it might actually be a step backwards to to you know try to do what you were doing. 10 years ago. So I think that's, yeah. And I think also it's, I can't, I have a difficult time doing anything, um, sort of halfway. Mm -hmm. And so if I were to, to do anything, it would be, uh, something that I'd want to immerse myself in and Mm -hmm. I'd want to be as world-class as I could be, um, before, before doing it. So, um, and, and, you know, that's the other thing, you know, I have lots of People will say, "Well, if we'll go to a casino this weekend, and 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 you'll crush it." And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> I need to go every weekend for a year, and we'll see where I'm at." Yeah. Um, and and that's, you know, I just don't have the capacity for that in my life yep. right now. So. I totally get it. At, at we were hanging out after the last boot camp, me and some of the kind of pros that were still just chilling at the house, and someone was saying like, "Oh, why don't you, you know, like." 
put another team together or hit it hard. And it's like, well, the only way I could do that is if that's really all I'm focusing on. Yeah. And to do that means yeah. I, you know, I've got a bunch of kids and uh, <laughs> I run blackjack apprenticeship, you know, like right. I would, I would have to put blackjack apprenticeship completely on the back burner, which I'm not going to do cause I'm having too much fun That's you know, great. running it. That's so great. I, I can totally, totally relate to that. It's like all in or, or, you know, all out unless it's just on a side hobby scale. Um, so yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for your time. This was a lot of fun for me. And oh, it's uh, my pleasure. Yeah. Well, I'm sure people are going to learn a lot from hearing from your story. And, and obviously people can uh, pick up the blackjack life if they haven't read it. If they have read it, it's probably fun for them to at least put a voice to, to the, the stories. So thanks yeah. so much for doing this. And uh, for all those listening, you can check out the blackjack life. I'm sure it's, it's on Amazon or wherever else people buy books. And if you want to learn more about beating blackjack, check out blackjack apprenticeship. Mm-hmm.